Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back. It's uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, uh, I uh, am excited today to have with us to finish off Isaiah, our wonderful institute director, uh, Brother Jim Edwards. Uh, Jim, welcome. Thank you, Brother Swenson. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. We're uh, we're going to wrap up Isaiah today through 58 through 66. Yes. Yep. Um, and uh, get uh, get get done with Isaiah, and, and it's been such a great experience to not go deep diving into Isaiah and all the context that maybe we could have gotten into, but really just touch on some principles that uh, that help the the young adults and, and ourselves really just uh, get uh, stronger and closer to the Lord. So excited for that. Before we do that, will you just introduce yourself, say some things about you and how long you've been at the Institute or, or whatever you want. Sure. Tell us about your family. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I've been here at the Institute probably for seven years now, I think. Okay. I came here after uh, a year at Bora, and before that I was a seminary principal at uh, Mountain View Seminary, was there for nine years, mm -hmm. and seven years before that at the Meridian Seminary. Mm -hmm. So it's been fun to be here locally, and yeah. the coolest part about being an institute teacher is you get to follow some of your seminary students that you had. Right. And since their ages <laughs> goes from 18 through 31, there's a lot of years you can reach out after them and, yeah. and have them in your classroom again. And so yeah. it's just been really fun to have that. They become friends. Yeah, that's right. The, as adults then, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Good. Uh, what about your family? Tell us about your family a little bit. Well, just two hours ago, we uh, sent our baby off to basic training. That's right. That's <laughs> Isabel, right. our youngest, just graduated from high school and, and is going off to Fort Sill, Oklahoma yeah. to follow in her brother's footsteps as a soldier in the National Guard Army and so we're a little uh, trying to trying to work through that idea of yeah. sending a daughter is a little bit different than sending yeah. a son off <laughs> but we have four kids uh, three daughters and one son and uh, so we're about ready to be empty nesters yeah that's exciting I uh, have had the opportunity of teaching your your younger three I think and uh, yeah. and just wonderful family and and they come from good stock so thank you it's uh it's good to Good to be with you again here today. So let's jump in. Let's uh, let's just start. We're going to start in Isaiah 58, um, and I don't have any preconceived anything about where we're going. So, sure, uh, Brother Edwards, just tell us uh, tell us what you'd like us to see here. Yeah, thank you. This last part of Isaiah, actually chapters 47 through 66, and a lot of this is beautifully stated in the Bible dictionary. Hmm. Um, it talks a lot about, and it's fitting for the end of a book to have the final events uh, with the restoration of Israel. Hmm that Israel will be gathered. And we talk about the, the, the most important work happening on the earth today is the gathering of Israel. Mm -hmm. These chapters talk about what that's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty, pretty awesome in light of what we've been given in our own work. And so things like the cleansing of the earth, the establishment of Zion, the Lord dwelling with his people, Pretty incredible things that yeah. are going to be happening that we get to study about here in these last few chapters of last Isaiah. Last days kind of times yeah. that he's speaking of. Now, now help me, because Isaiah is living a time when 
the Babylonian captivities and all the other captivities that are going to happen in the future. At this point, he's specifically speaking of latter days. Yeah. Um, is that correct? And that's one of the keys to helping us understand Isaiah is a lot of times he'll be talking about things in his day, which has a dual application to a Latter-day event. For sure. And so a lot of the things that he is talking about is is clearly with last days kinds of things. So yeah. this is relevant to, to yes. our day. Yeah. The last days of the latter days. That's it. President Nelson said. Jump us in. Where where would we uh, where would we start in here looking at some of the things that, that might be relevant to us? Yeah, so Isaiah has, all throughout his books, not just in this latter part, but uh, in the book of Isaiah, he'll have three themes that he talks about a lot. Okay. And the first theme is his covenant children of Israel, the Israelites are his covenant people, that they have rebelled. Israel has rebelled. So you'll see a lot of chapters and a lot of scriptures highlighting that. And we'll, we'll show you an example in just a second. Uh, the other theme that you'll see with that rebellion, because they rebelled, he's not going to be able to protect them from their enemies. And so he will allow them to be scattered. Hmm. So there's your kind of your second theme. And thirdly, because they are his covenant people and because he's merciful and kind and forgiving, he will gather them again. Yeah. So we'll, we'll look for those themes. And that's a helpful way to study Isaiah as, as, you, as you look through there. You can even mark in three different colors. Hmm. Israel has rebelled. The Lord will allow them to be scattered but in his loving kindness and mercy, he will gather them again. Mm. And so if you want to look at just some examples of that, let's go to chapter 59. Okay. In Isaiah 59, this is a message to the, to the afflicted, to those that are, that are scattered. And you might recall, so Isaiah was a prophet from 740 B.C. to 701 B.C. And right in the middle of his uh, 40 years of being a prophet, in 721 BC, the Assyrians came in and wiped out the sure. northern kingdom. Right. So this is kind of speaking to those 10 tribes to the north that have already been scattered. Mm -hmm. And uh, he describes that in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. So what's the reason why the Lord gives that they have been scattered and that they're in this, this awful state? It's verse 2. This is that idea that they have rebelled but your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hmm. So it's not anything that he's done or that he doesn't have power to help them or power to save them. They cut themselves off from the Lord's blessings and his protection from their own sins and iniquities and their own rebellion, uh, idolatry being among the greatest of their sins. Yeah. You know, I love, as, as we get going here, I love the idea that those three ways of looking at Isaiah and the three ways of studying him and what he's talking about, knowing that he's talking about his day at the same time he's talking about times past, at the same time he's talking about times to come. You know, if I, if I read these things thinking about me, that I have wandered, and uh, because he allows me my agency to wander, he's also going to help scatter me a little bit. Mm and let those hardships come that come from my wandering, but that he's also gonna be there to gather me. You know, I read these first verses, and that's true for me too, right? Yeah. That uh, his hand isn't shortened, and it's really my iniquities that yeah. have caused me to get where I'm at, right? And, and, uh, but, he's, but he's there. I'm so glad you said that. I, I hope that anyone listening to this can see themselves in Israel's story. This is really our story, as yeah. you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and so for any that feel like, you know what, I'm kind of in that scattered state, 
right now, whether it be spiritually scattered or maybe emotionally scattered or socially scattered because of some of the choices that we've made, that there is real hope because we're covenant Israel. Yeah. And in fact, some of us may feel verse 10, so all those verse, verses 3 through 10 talk about their, their misdeeds, their yeah, sins, their iniquity. It kind of outlines all the things that they've yeah. done wrong. And as a result of those wrong things, verse 10, this is us at times, isn't it? We grope for the wall like the blind. Man, yeah. And we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Some of us may feel that right now. Like, yeah. well, that's me. That's my description. I feel like I'm, I'm walking at noonday, but I'm stumbling like I'm blind. Well, and isn't it wonderful, too, to look at individually we can feel like that as a... Uh, community, we can see that that our, our so many of our leaders in government are stumbling in the middle of the day. Yeah. It's so clear what ought to be going on and how we ought to fix some things. I think and and it just is a stumble fest all over the place. So so where's the answer? Yeah. So we've got Israel's rebelled. The Lord allowed them to be scattered. That third theme, He will gather them in His yeah. loving kindness. Look at verse 20 of this same chapter 59. Here's the hope, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Mm. That idea that we have a Redeemer that will buy us back, which is what that word means, to mm. purchase us again in spite of what we've done wrong. If we will turn to Him, yeah. we can be redeemed, we can be gathered. And well, so, isn't the, isn't the, it, it's interesting to me as I, as I read this, I, I kind of got stuck on the in Jacob part of that verse. You'll come to Zion unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And, and it, so I did a little bit of study on that. And Jacob really is representative of the covenant, right? That, that mm -hmm. That's where the covenant is. And so we transgress our covenants. And, and that is the thing that he needs to reattach to us, yeah. right, is, is our covenant. It, it reminds me of President uh, Nelson's invitation to get on the covenant path and stay on the covenant path. That's the first step, right, yeah. in, in, uh, in holding, holding firm uh, to the rod at the end here. But uh, that covenant, that, that's, that's really where that's, all of That's it. That's huge. Is. In fact, if you look, just skip over to chapter 61. Look at verse 10. So again, here's that hope, and this is where that covenant comes in. Uh, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. This is us that have strayed, right? This is, this is we who have been scattered, or we who have made mistakes, or groping at the wall like the blind. Yeah. Here we can, can see this, this redeeming here. And then look what it says here. The Lord hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh her, himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Wow. So talk about covenants. This is alluding to the covenant of marriage. And the relationship of the Lord to Israel has always been compared as a husband and a wife, where Israel, the wife, has been unfaithful. Hosea's writings indicate how the Lord will allure Israel, even after she's been unfaithful to him, yeah. like a husband who's been cheated on, mm -hmm. he will still allure her to try to win her heart back. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we have here, this, this marriage covenant uh, and, and, and clothing. And, and those that have been endowed in the temple could read this with temple eyes, um, where we talk about being clothed with righteousness, and in this case, clothed with garments of salvation. Um, in the, it's interesting, I, I looked this up in the Greek, the Greek word for clothed here would have been translated as endowed. 
Oh, really? Or gifted. Well, there's the covenants again. And so we've, we've got this covenant. How cool. Right? How cool. And, and not not to to add to this too much more, but uh, where it says, He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And we've, we've learned in other places that covered some, can sometimes be translated as atoned. Mm. And so you, you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam and Eve, they, they were discovered in their nakedness and, and there was nothing. That nakedness is symbolic of not being able to hide anything from God. Yeah. And so what did God provide? Well, they tried covering themselves with the fig leaves. That's right, yeah. And how long would a fig leaf, you know, work? <laughs> After a while, those things yeah, wear out, they dry out. out and, and, and so it said the Lord gave Adam and Eve a covering. The Lord covered their nakedness. Mm -hmm. Only Christ can cover our sins, or that word that can be translated covered can also be translated as atoned. Mm -hmm. So Christ covers our sins through his atonement. And in this covenant relationship with the Lord, we can be cleansed from our sins. And, and, and you'll notice in the endowment, uh, special clothing, additional clothing added as you progress through the endowment yeah, ceremony. Right. The idea that when the judgment comes, there's no nakedness there. You, you are confident, yeah. clean, and clothed before the Lord yeah. because of the covenants you've made with him. Yeah, I think of robes of righteousness and, and you know, breastplates and things that we, we learn in the, in the scriptures about the early tabernacles and the the representations of the tribes and how powerful they were, right? And they, they were represented in, in the stonework on the, on the breastplate and whatnot. And, and how our Father in Heaven's objective would be to give us all of that armor, so to speak, right? That, that uh, strength that comes from being covered there. Before we jump off of this, I just, the beginning of this chapter, chapter 61, yeah. uh, maybe just let me read for a minute. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. So these are maybe the messages of the objectives of a prophet, or a, for sure the Lord, but prophets for sure, to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. What a beautiful message as we think about the gathering, that really all of us are called to, to do those things, right? To, to make efforts to help in those, um, in those great works, to preach to the living, to redeem the dead, and to, to um, help the, the prison doors be opened. But then just keep going, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. It's interesting to me that the day of vengeance is postluded by comfort uh, those that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in zion to give up unto them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness right it's it just these these uh, uh, I, my mind went back to garments yeah um, this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness as we're tasked with the gathering we're really tasked with helping people dress <laughs> and get unnaked yeah. um, and, and have that atoning experience for themselves that you've so eloquently painted um, from Adam and Eve's experience. But, but really, the gathering, in whether it's on this side of the veil or the other side of the veil, is an attempt to help in that, in that yeah. effort, to put more clothes on and help them be more confident as they stand before the Lord. Well said. I think I, this this whole introductory part of 61, as you've just quoted, 
not only I think it's a spiritual representation. Clothing could be if you're naked, you're you you've you've got sin that's exposed that you can't hide. Yeah. But I think it's also symbolic of maybe our spiritual condition as well, because yeah. part of the, the 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 mission of the Lord here, according to verse one is to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to those that are captive. Could it be those that are captive to addictions? And of course sure. we know that there's some temple implications there as well, that you have those that are yeah. captive in the spirit prison that are waiting to be uh, taught the gospel of Jesus Christ yeah. and have those same ordinances that you and I enjoy and have yeah. been blessed by, uh, but, but the opening of the prison to them that are bound. But uh, at the end of verse two, to comfort all that mourn, hmm. right? This this idea of, comforting uh, reminds us of our of our baptismal covenants that we've made. In fact, it's if you could go and look at several of these phrases and, and tie it into Mosiah 18 yeah. where it talks yeah. about this. That was just going there in my right. head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to mourn with those that mourn and yeah. comfort those that stand in need of comfort. That is the mission of the Savior. That's what our Redeemer does. Yeah. In fact, uh, these very two verses, he opened his ministry by quoting them in that synagogue in Nazareth. That's right. If you look at Luke 4, starting in verse 16, that's where he takes his turn quoting from, and that's where the, the you know, how they read chronologically through yeah. the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He got up there, and right where the page was marked, that's where he started reading. He mm -hmm. read those two verses that you just read, mm -hmm. and then said, this scripture is fulfilled this day. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, that Redeemer that was gonna come and bind up the brokenhearted, here I am. Here I am. I'm, I'm ready to do that. And, and of course, they, they accused him, is this not Joseph's son? Right, yeah. And they wanted to throw him over the cliff and uh, accuse him of blasphemy. And of course, that wasn't his time to die. And so he was conveyed miraculously out of their midst yeah. and uh, was preserved. But, but that's how he opened his ministry. Well, and isn't it interesting that, that the very first part of this verse in 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Isaiah speaking mm -hmm. of his assignment, right? And yeah. so, so like, like I said maybe a, a minute ago, that, that the assignment the Savior came to fulfill that none of us can do is the, atone, the atonement itself. Um, you know, the suffering and the overcoming of sin and, and the resurrection, death on our behalf. But these tasks, preach good tidings, I, I can do that, Isaiah can do that. I think sometimes we think of the uh, gathering as this thing I don't know how to do. I don't know how to go invite my friends, and I don't know how to, right? There are, especially in our culture, it's so uncomfortable today to go bring up religion in any discussion, right? And, and uh, but, but what is it that we, what is it that we live? How is it that we portray ourselves? You know, I, I, uh, I, I know you well enough to know that your neighbors it's a big deal if you don't get to go, come to the neighborhood gathering, right? And and uh, I know you care about that, and that that you make you make sure that you're free those days, and because your neighbors, even non-members, they recognize when Jim Edwards isn't present at the at the meeting. And man, what, what what does it require of us to become that way to our peers, to our neighbors? Um, I think that is this verse, you know, binding those that or or, or freeing those that feel bound. I love that. In fact, maybe we could just skip over to back sure. to 58, yeah. uh, the beginning of this block that we've been trying to cover. Because the Lord helps us understand, well, how should we act? How should we be seen by our yeah. neighbors? Yeah. And this is talking about the law of the fast. Yeah. And so as we think about our, the influence that we can have on others, starting in verse 6, 7, and 8, 
is this, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke. That sounds very similar to how the Savior opened up his ministry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To let the prisoners go free, that the captives that are bound. Uh, verse 7, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? And so you, I love this description of, of what the Lord expects us to do and how we should gather Israel. It really is just taking care of the poor, just like the Savior opened his ministry, mm. to take care of the poor and the afflicted and to, and to clothe the naked. And, and uh, that the fast is part of that, that, that we do that, our fasting and our prayers, to do those very same things. Uh, that's, that's how we gather Israel. And, and if we back up a few verses from there, um, maybe into verse 4, Ye fast for strife and debate, to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. It, it, I love that you've brought us here in talking about how we ought to be just in general. I mean, yeah. obviously this is teaching us how we should not be when we fast, right? Look at me, I'm fasting. Um, but, but maybe this is a message to us about how we are on our social media accounts mm. and how we are with our neighbors that that we want them to see us as a member of the church, but we don't want them to see us as, you know, striking our, you know, beating our chests about how righteous we are and all the things that we do well. And and I think there's a there's a real um, tendency when we come across like that mm -hmm. to fe to feel judged. Yeah. If if I live next to a member of the church and that's how they act, well, man, I I'm not living that kind of life, and so yeah. I. I'm feeling judged. Verse 5, it, is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him, right? I mean, is this really what I want you to do is look so miserable that you're, you know, or, or conversely, if we're talking about how we're seen by our peers, can we really not just show the joy that we have in our lives because of our understanding of the gospel? Do we have to show how busy we are and how... I know I, I get stuck in that world sometimes, how, how much I do and how yeah. busy we all are. And and, and somehow um, I feel like there's a badge of honor in that or, yeah. or something. And, and I don't know that that's looked at by by those around me the same way as I feel like they should look at it. But uh, Well, I know if we uh, if we pride ourselves on how busy we are, uh, how, how enticing is that in the gathering for people to yeah. want to partake in a life where they're right. coming <laughs> and going constantly? Not at all. And, yeah. <laughs> But, but what a beautiful principle that ties yeah. right in with this fasting principle, right? That, that I can look at my life and see if it's for show or if I'm humbly, quietly going about this without, you know, between me and the Lord. Is, it, is, is that where my conversation happens or is it between me and my neighbor? And I love the promises of this chapter. If we're, if we're sincere in our approach mm. and our motives are pure, that we're not trying to be seen of men, mm that we're fasting sincerely, and, and we could share some examples in our own lives where maybe we fasted sure. and, and have seen some incredible blessings that come from that, but the fast offering that, that accompanies fasting, right, where we literally have the opportunity to deliver those that are financially captive yeah. or those that are in bondage and to lift their spirits and to lift their hearts and to put bread on their tables and the very thing that Jesus same, said he came to the earth to do. Yeah. Uh, we have the opportunity to participate in that. And as we do, look at the promises in, in starting in verse 8. 
Again, this is Isaiah 58, 8 through 11, highlight the promises. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. So talk about groping mm. at noonday in the, as if you're in the dark. Yeah. How do we bring light when we have all this darkness in our mm. lives and we're struggling? It's, it's fasting and praying and, and serving others and, and delivering the poor and the hungry, right? That's when that light will break forth as the morning and thine health shall spring forth speedily. Hmm. And again, these are the blessings from fasting and prayer. And righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am if thou wilt take away from the midst of thee the yoke. Verse, verse 10, and if thou draw thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and the darkness shall be as the noonday. Mm. So we come back to that idea of noonday, but no longer are we groping at the wall mm. because we have let the light in. And how do you let that light in? By mm. doing what Jesus did, yeah. serving others, lifting the hands that hang down, yeah. uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, all the things that, that, uh, that he did. Yeah. So I just love, I those, love those, those ways that encourage us on how we can be more like our Savior. Yeah, I love that. I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, just wisdom about how to be in this chapter that, that maybe I've never seen. I think I've always just looked at it like a, like a fasting section and teach me how to be on the Sabbath when I'm fasting. You know, Jim, you serve as a stake president in the church as well, and, and I might take an opportunity to ask you uh, specifically about fast offerings and how, how that kind of works. I, you know, I grew up, when, when I was younger, I didn't understand how anything worked and thought tithing was going for everything and helping with this and that. And, and as I've gotten older and served in some uh, 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 leadership callings, uh, I understand a little better that the fast offering um, is generally kept within the ward level. Um, so if I pay a $10 fast in my own ward, that stays to help the members in my own ward. But, but when you get beyond the ward, uh, tell me how that looks. If you've got a, a ward in your stake that has significant need, where, where does that come from and how does that work yeah, for that? Great question. So I kind of seen this on both sides of the fence. When I was in the Philippines uh, as a missionary, very, very little money was had by the members of the church there. And so when they paid a fast offering, which as a minimum were, were taught to the cost of two meals, whatever it is you're, you're skipping, that that, that cost is, uh, could be then contributed to the poor. Well, the cost of two meals for the Filipinos, uh, in, in, at least when I was serving in the early 90s, um, we're talking, a, you know, two or three dollars at the most. Mm. And so you have that, if they're, if they're even able to pay that. Sure. And so they, they did the very best that they could, but because of the needs that they had, there, there was just never enough in those wards to cover the, the financial needs of the members that, yeah. that had some tough things going on in their lives. And so fortunately then, Fast Offerings from church headquarters was able to then come in to meet whatever, whatever deficit that they had. Mm. Um, and so, so as a stake president now, it's neat for me to see every month, month after month, tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. It's the most humbling thing to see that our saints are able to contribute. And I know after all of the needs are met in individual wards, any surplus funds then are then sent to Salt Lake mm -hmm. for them to go throughout the world to, to hit those wards and stakes that can't cover yeah, their Yeah, that's expenses. great. So you would say in our region, we generally cover our own and then there's a surplus that goes out. Absolutely, yeah, yep. So, it, so if I was a bishop in, in the Philippines, say, 
would there ever be a limit? I mean, is there ever a limit to coming in and saying, I just need to help this family and I need to, I need to give? Is, is there a place where the church come in, comes in and stops a priesthood leader from providing assistance? Yeah, yeah, so great question. So where there are funds that are in excess of $10,000, at least in the United States, and I'm not exactly sure what that might be in foreign lands. Sure. Maybe it's the equivalent of that. Um, but where, where some assistance beyond $10,000 is needful, then that stake president would have a conversation with the Area Authority 70 that, that mm. works with him. Mm. And so in my case, I would have a conversation with Elder Firmage, mm. and we would just make sure that it was being used in the way that the Lord intends mm. it to be used. And but that's that's a that's a big amount. That's probably more than you know any one family sure. is going to need for sure, right? Typically, but sometimes there's some just some devastating circumstances and unique things that that come along that that may require some pretty serious funds what a, to what help. A, what a wonderful yeah. what a wonderful organization that the Lord's established to help us help each other, yeah. right? The safety net that exists as a member of the church to to just know that the Lord's got you, yeah. and the members of the church all over the world are brothers and sisters, literally, uh, there to help and to lift. I love this section because it gives us our how to be, but the, but the principle of fasting and a fast offering um, is really something I wish we, as a church, maybe generally understood better, the beauty behind it, yeah. right, and, and the organization of it. Can I just share, when I was a bishop, uh, you remember the old classic before priesthood meeting started, the the teachers quorum president would say, Okay, teachers, come up and grab your fast offerings. Yep. Go and, collect. Yeah. And there was usually more boys than routes, at least at that time in our ward. And there was a little bit of a, I did it last month, it's your turn. Well, yep. no, you you I did it two months before that and so I needed you know, and it was kind of like this it was just a weird thing yep. and and I don't get, and you've seen me, you know my demeanor, and anyone listening to this podcast that knows me probably hasn't seen me get angry. Right. Um, but that was one of those rare times where I stood up and tears came to my eyes. I was surprised at the reaction that I was experiencing, but but I, I tried to paint the picture and said, brethren, do you have any idea what you're arguing about? That here we have the opportunity to be like the Savior Jesus Christ and bind up the brokenhearted, and feed the poor and the, and the hungry, and, and clothe the naked, and and you're, you're fighting over that opportunity. Mm. And I said, I wish that you could see what happens to the funds that you collect as, as they go to the, from home to home and collect those funds, and then the bishops are able to sit down with that sister who just lost her husband and, uh, and has four, four small children, and she's not sure how to make things work. And for the bishop to say, don't worry, our members have got your back and you're covered and we're going to help you. We're going to figure this out. And and your Relief Society president is going to work on a plan with you to help us get where we need to be. But in the meantime, don't you worry about it. We've got you covered. Yeah. And the tears that flow from their eyes or the, the tears that flow from the eyes of children when their mom and dad come home from the bishop's storehouse yeah. with the food on their table that they've kind of been struggling with lately. And I wish you could see that. And so I'm sharing this with, with the pretty strong, firm voice and tears in my eyes. And, uh, and that little squabbling stopped immediately. And, <laughs> and, and I, I hope that was a lesson that some of them will never forget. And, and I've not forgotten it, the, the reaction that I felt and the love that I had in my heart for those 
those young boys to learn that lesson, but yeah. but I was surprised. What a powerful principle, and, and one that uh, you know comes clearer with the with the service that you're able to serve and, and provide as a priesthood leader. Um, and that was my hope here, is to, just to give a little bit of a glimpse into that um, that that does exist that so many of our members I think don't get to see um, just with without having a leadership assignment to see it and. I just love that. And, and maybe it ties back into Isaiah here where, you know, this is a way that the Lord does gather at the end, right? That, that helps bring us in. I, I, I think of the, the hen gathering her chicks, right? That, that is so soft and comfortable and, and comforting. And, and I just love that, that principle of fasting and fast offerings as a, as a part of that um, gathering in. Thank so, you. Yeah. And when you think about, again, some of these last chapters of Isaiah are about the last days yeah. where we talk about the gathering. One of the, one of the most important things in these last few chapters is about the, the gathering of, of his children to mm. Zion. Mm. And why will there need to be an actual physical gathering? Things are going to be tough enough in the world that there's going to be a need to, to be a refuge from the storms of life, mm -hmm. that we'll need to have a place of protection mm. to physically gather uh, gather to, and uh, there will be some justice administered here. And so we don't want to minimize that. Um, again, this is kind of the consequence of, of those who have rebelled. Chapter 63 talks about, talk about clothing again, if we can kind of go along with the clothing thing. Yeah. This is this is one of those parts in Scripture that talk about what the Savior will look like when He comes at the second coming. Hmm. In my mind, I always grew up with that wonderful painting. Uh, I think it might be by Harry Anderson. I love the painting of Christ coming in the clouds and he's yeah. wearing white and yeah. all the angels and everything else. And and uh, and while that is a, a wonderful uh, painting, uh, the second coming, when he comes, he'll be wearing dyed garments. Mm -hmm. Now there's dual symbolism there. It says I've uh, in, in verse one, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments? And verse 2, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat? Wine fat. And he talks about, uh, you know, anciently, uh, they didn't have all the fancy processing equipment that we have of processing grapes and turning it into grape juice or mm -hmm. wine. Mm -hmm. But they would literally tread this wine, this wine vat with their feet. And uh, if you had any loose clothing on your robe, if you didn't tuck that up high enough, mm. it would be stained red. And so that's the description, as if he had been treading in the wine vat with the grapes splattering on his clothing, on yeah. his robe, it would yeah. be red. And in and, and verse 3, there's an, uh, there's an illusion, or an, uh, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, to the atonement of Jesus Christ here. Mm. He says, I've trodden the wine press alone. And of the people, there was none with me. And, and so this idea that the Savior took upon himself all of our sins, and in a very real way, there was a time when the Savior did have all of his clothing died while he was in mortality, yeah. as he suffered what he suffered in Gethsemane, where he bled from every pore. But there's other symbolism here. It's not just the atonement, but it literally, if you look at the rest of verse 3, Here's the justice part of things, right? We have a God that's perfectly just. This red also symbolizes the treading of those grapes in his anger. Trample them in my fury, their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. That this is symbolic of the death and destruction of all the wicked that will, that will perish in the second coming. 
And we learn in other places, by the way, how he feels about this, that he is a God who weeps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and so that's, that's, the, that's the tough part of this. But it's so interesting how Isaiah, in the very same chapter then, highlights the mercy. Yeah. And, and if you look in verse 7, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed upon us, the great goodness towards the house of Israel which he hath bestowed upon them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Mm. And uh, verse 9, in all their affliction he was afflicted. There's a reference to the atonement also, right? Mm. He knows what we're going through. He knows everything, not just our sins, but he took upon all the affliction and all the pain and the suffering. Uh, in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them. He carried them all the days of old. Mm. But then there's that theme, verse 10, but they rebelled in spite of all that he had done. That loving kindness is pointed out by Isaiah. And so I, I hope that we'll focus on that yeah. and remember that, that the Lord is so merciful. And if we'll just turn to him, that loving kindness will always, always be extended towards us. I love that. I, I um, am reminded back to uh, Brother Knight when Brother Knight uh, was here with us on the podcast a week or two ago, he um, talked about how uh, oftentimes when Isaiah speaks and writes, he would write something and then he'd restate it. And what you read in verse 3 uh, and verse, well, 2 and 3, he really restates in verse 5, I, I have trodden the winepress alone, verse 3, right? Yeah. Verse 5, I looked and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury had upheld me. And then I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. I just, I think there's something really beautiful to um, the idea that the Old Testament, the Savior of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, is merciful but there's so much judgment or justice being meted out across the Old Testament, right? The, the flood and the, you name it, there was just a constant level of live this law or there will be a consequence. Compare and contrast that God to the God of the Savior in the New Testament, where we see such a striking difference between the, the justice mm. of God and the mercy of God. Um, the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. And, and it's interesting as we read this to think about the God that will come, that is both. That it, it's, so, it's so strange to me sometimes to read some of these verses and have literally half the verse be, I love you and I'm going to gather you and I'm going to help you and my vengeance is going to destroy you, right? <laughs> and and I, it, it's amazing to me that, that he is so accurate in how that justice and mercy will be meted out, that he can tie them so neatly together mm. and and help me feel like I'm the first part of the verse, not yeah, the last part right. of the verse. But clearly know that there will be a last part of the verse for some. I think that is the great quest of all members of the church as we try to become like God. Yeah. What is he like? Yeah. How can we be both perfectly just and perfectly merciful? Yeah. And, and, and what does that look like in all of its applications? And, and it's interesting, some have said the Old Testament is the kind of the angry, just God, and the yeah. New Testament is the merciful, kind God. And sure. 
But if you look at the Old Testament, how many examples are there of oh. that tender mercy and long-suffering yeah. and kindness, the children of Israel and feeding them for 40 oh, years, for even sure. though they murmured and complained right. the whole time. And Go find 10 yeah. guys that are good and I won't yes. destroy the city. That's it. I mean. That's it. And, and, and then you look at the New Testament, even the Savior mm. in, his, in his anger, not out of control anger, True. by the way, yeah. but out of motivated by love also, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, overturning the money changers tables yeah. and uh, that's that's some justice being meted out and a, an event that I would have been fearful to have even witnessed yeah you're right and, and and to learn to be like the Savior not just is it elder Holland that said the, the bumper sticker Jesus that would pat you on the head and send you off to the village loving I think our world has gotten so afraid of recognizing sin that we've called it, don't judge, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I identify sin somehow, I'm judging Elder Oaks. Uh, 1998 gave a wonderful talk um, about the difference between judging and uh, judging righteously and, and judgment, and really separated those two things and said what he calls um, intermediate judgment versus final judgment, and that we are regularly asked to judge yeah. you know um, choose the right yeah by, by that, that's a definition yeah. is the you know that's a judgment to, to judge right and yeah. and but but not final judgment where we say because that person did this X will happen yeah that's only the Lord's but but I think in order to become like the Savior I have to learn yeah. how to intermediately judge a situation a behavior um, how to appropriately distribute consequences <laughs> yep yeah and also to know when an increase of love is needed, yeah. um, when when the identification of a behavior is necessary, but like the Doctrine and Covenants invites us to then follow that correction with an increase of love. Yeah, I love it. That's the Savior. I love this. Jim, I love this. G give us some final thoughts. Where would you take us? Is there is there anything else that you would just want to make sure we, sure. we see before we are out of Isaiah? Well, maybe and just along those lines of his loving kindness and mercy. And, and I love to highlight those things for those that that are like the Savior and helping the poor and the needy. And really, that's that's the gospel, helping yeah. others, serving others, right? The, the gathering of Israel is is helping them physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way that we can yeah. uh, for those that are spiritually, emotionally, physically scattered. Yeah. And uh, and so as we make that our work and as we fast and as we pray and we're sincerely trying to follow the Savior's example and keep our baptismal covenants, uh, this is, this is, these are the blessings. Um, Isaiah 64, four was a verse that I highlighted. Paul quoted this in the New Testament uh, this is Isaiah in verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath I seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Hmm. I think the way Paul quoted it was for those that love him. Hmm. We have, we, Our eyes have never seen anything so amazing. Our ears haven't heard of anything so incredible. Our hearts and our minds have never perceived the incredible blessings that await those that love the Lord and wait on Him. Mm. And I love that thought that whatever is awesome and perfect and wonderful in life, we haven't seen anything yet mm. is really a way we could express that. And, mm. and, and what does that look like? The, the very next chapter, the second to last chapter of Isaiah, chapter 65, 17, verse 17 through the end, talks about the coming forth of Zion. And, and this is part of what we can't even imagine how, how incredible it'll be. 
It says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Mm. We won't even remember our old <laughs> life. As, whatever was awesome, wow. and I, I hope ice cream's included in this <laughs> new life, but maybe I won't even think about ice cream compared to what we're going to be experiencing yeah, in okay. Zion if I have that privilege to be there. <laughs> but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And you think about Jerusalem's history, how much weeping and crying and death and carnage and destruction and war have happened for centuries and centuries and Mm. centuries. There will no longer be tears in Jerusalem. Mm. It's beautiful. Uh, there shall be no more thence infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. Uh, so it's just the, the, the fruit of the ground and, and everything's going to be consecrated and blessed. Verse 24, I really love. And it shall come to pass, remember the promises that those that fast and pray, mm that when they, when they call, the Lord will answer. Yeah. But look at this in the, in the, during that millennial day when Zion is established. Before they call, I will answer. Oh, wow. And while they are yet speaking, mm. I will hear. He's not going to take his time. He's not going to say, I'll get around to that or you wait. wait. For the problem to exist. That's right. Before you even get done saying the prayer, it's going to be answered. Wow. And, and the wolf will lie with, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And uh, there shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. And so this is us. This is me. Whatever I've done wrong, whatever I've, however I've strayed and however I'm groping at the wall like the blind, whatever darkness is in my life now, the Lord invites us to come unto him. And that can be the promise that we can have. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wait for the millennial day to have light and joy and peace and happiness. Mm-hmm and being clothed in righteousness and, and redemption and all of those things that we long for. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that hope. Isaiah gives me hope. Yeah, it's beautiful. Jim, thank you. This has been wonderful. I, as you finished your thoughts there, I, I couldn't help but think of the psalmist, or David, maybe. And, uh, you know, I love, that, I love that David is credited with the psalms or supposed that perhaps he wrote them and... And, and even if that's not true, I just love the idea that David maybe did, you know, having done yeah. the things he'd done and, yeah. and, and the, the beauty of his, um, he really encapsulates this whole concept, right? That, that we've strayed, we've made those choices, we owned it, we kind of wandered off, we got ourselves lost, but uh, like we've talked kind of this whole time, the Savior's there and says, come back and, and I'll let me show you the way back. And, and maybe we have to slog back through some of the stuff uh, to get back onto the path. But, but most of the time, I think the Lord just cuts a new path for us. And it doesn't have to make us go back backwards. Um, you know, occasionally, maybe in some experiences needing to, to work through some things, we have to go back. But, but I think most of the time, He just shows us a new path that gets us back to the covenant path that we should have been on the whole time. Jim, thank you. Um, is there any invitation you'd make as Institute Director to... Uh, to the young single adults or the young adults out in yeah. the valley here that are listening, and even those from afar, what, what would you say to them? Thank you for that opportunity. I, I'm so grateful to have had this chance to be with you and uh, 
And, and I love the young adults of the church. I have all my children are now young adults, every single one of them. Yeah. They're in that young adult world. And so this is my world. This is my joy. This is my life. And so for those young adults, you'll hopefully hear this a lot, but I want to establish a culture here at the Institute where every young adult that comes can come to see themselves like the Savior as a gatherer, mm. that they will love, that they will share, that they will invite, that they will bring people with them, that they will keep their baptismal covenants and like the Savior, bind up the brokenhearted and to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that need comfort. And uh, there's a lot of young adults right now that are groping at the wall like the blind who have a lot of darkness and discouragement and a lot of trials and suffering in their lives. Mm. And they don't know where to go. But I, I have two or 3,000 young adults at our disposal right here at the Institute to go out into the world and bring them and gather them in, which is the most important work that any of us can be doing. And so that's my invitation to all our young adults is please see yourselves as gatherers. Pray that you might make this work of the gathering your most important work that you can do. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Whether it's whether it's gathering them down here, that's one of the things I love about you, Jim, is is as much as you want them here um, to, to come and to, to feel of, of the love of the teachers and the love of the Savior that, that we try to bring into our classrooms and the spirit that resides just in the building here, all the activities that we do, as much as the, the desire is to have them gathered in, um, your, I think, first objective would, to, would be, like you said, to help them become gatherers and see themselves as that. Because whether it's happening here in the building or it's happening out on the other side of town or in a different state, that's the most important work, right? It's not, it's not that the Institute grows, it's that's that, right. that they're gathering. We're gathering them to Christ, ultimately. That's, that's where we're gathering them. And if that's connecting them to a YSA bishop, or if that means getting them connected to their family again to where they can make that, that eternal bond uh, stronger, uh, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, ultimately we want to gather them to Christ. Yeah, thank you. Brother, thank you. I'm excited for what lies ahead of us. Uh, it's good to work with you, and, uh, and I'm appreciative of my assignment to be near you. Uh, thank you for joining us again today. Um, be with us again next week. We're going to get into Jeremiah and talk about uh, a contemporary of Lehi, which will be kind of fun. So we'll see you then. Thanks. Thank you, Brother Swenson. Yep.